Hello everyone. We this is Roni here from Tailbone Talks. Let me get closer to the mic. My bad. We have Ander on the buttons. Hi. Hi. Sorry. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and we have our guest here, Cynthia. Hey. And Cynthia uses they and she pronouns. Correct. Identify as queer, kinky, and poly. Us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And they are a somatic sex coach for mostly queer people. They um, have spent years as an escort and very active in sex worker rights. And Mm -hmm. they also work as a coordinator for SOA AIDS public health organization. And they have a lot of online courses in English (laughs) and Dutch. They studied journalism and Middle Eastern culture and Arabic. And um, we talked a little bit about the PhD to sex work pipeline mm. outside the outdoors. <laughs> so really excited to have this talk. We met at the Intimacy Festival Holland mm. by Willika Sophia. And yeah, we're really excited to have you here today. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks. You look gorgeous also. Thank you. <laughs> Very colorful. It's a beautiful day outside and it's nice and cool inside it is yeah a bit dark a bit dark yeah mm-hmm. we, yeah how do you feel like uh around the summer ending you just came back from a beautiful retreat slash educational training do you yeah. want to talk about that yeah bit? sure yeah. i was in uh, in greece for a week mm-hmm. which was uh, fantastic and i was there for a, a training on the wheel of consent by betty martin and it was basically a, a week-long dive into this this system and in feeling like what is it like to give, what is it like to receive, um, what are my own um, hang-ups about that, like what is my own stuff around that, uh, and then learning how to implement that into sessions, yeah. uh, and that all like on a on a Greek hillside close to the beach with lo- lovely food. Mm. <laughs> it was very very good. Mm. Yeah, do you befriend any street cats? <laughs> Thousands. Okay. <laughs> yeah, especially in Athens, there yeah. were a lot. Yeah. I think they're amazing teachers for giving and receiving. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> mostly receiving, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, you said that you think it's already going to change the your work and your coaching. Hmm. Um, right now, you've, your work mostly is focusing on sex coaching. Yeah. Um, particularly aimed at queer people and mm-hmm. I really would love to hear from you um, yeah what what kind of let's say special struggles do you see um, queer people having in relation to exploring their sexuality or feeling in their body hmm. um, yeah, in a way it's, it's, it's really not special um, because we're all people struggling with being people mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the questions that uh, people come to me for are uh, very similar, whether you're straight or queer or whatever. Um, there's a couple of things, obviously, that are uh, particular to uh, to being queer. Um, I work a lot with trans people uh, who have different issues than other people have with their bodies. Um, and often after a, a whole journey with our body, feel like, hey, uh, so what is my relationship to sexuality now? And uh, they mm. want to explore that. Mm. Um, 
because that sexuality essentially stays on on hold. Um, well, it's different for everyone, really. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's like specific um, there's a specific journey that people go on if they have like like medical transitioning, um, and there's just stuff around their body that they that they want to like get to know or reconnect to. Um, also, like hormonal uh, influence can obviously influence yeah. sexuality. So, like uh, on the first on the first sight, you think like, oh, queer people, it's going to be really different in terms of coaching. But my experience has been that, in the end, um, what's what's underneath people's very particular situations and people's very particular questions is often, I don't know how to listen to my body mm-hmm. I don't know what it feels like in my body to feel really desire or what, what a boundary really feels like in my body mm. um, I don't know how to trust that how to value that and how to communicate that and it doesn't really matter if you're queer or not Yeah. Um, that sort of foundational uh, piece is just missing with a lot of people uh, and the way that shows up is different in queer people than in, in non-queer people. But yeah. Why do you? Why, from your experience, do you think that is? Because I mean, for me, listening to you, I think, oh yeah, because we grow up in a culture that doesn't value so much listening to your own mm-hmm. body um, or this kind of embodied knowledges. But I wonder, what's your perspective on that? Uh, my perspective on like how why that's something where a lot of people find missing in their life is this connection to how do I feel and respect my... Why essentially your body is speaking and not listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's a really big question. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What I I do see, or what we do see, is um, that from a very young age we're taught to not listen to our body, right? Mm -hmm. If you are in kindergarten and you are, like, moving around too much... The teacher will tell you, sit still, um, do this, do that, mm-hmm. uh, don't uh, go and dance. Uh, like, just before the show, you were dancing. That's yeah. not encouraged, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially in school, you're not supposed to dance in the classroom. Um, as to why, I think then, then we will very quickly be in a conversation about capitalism and uh, the way we are supposed to um, work in society and how mm. we are supposed to, to be um, but I think that's a, a giant topic in itself. <laughs> oh, I, I, I love that topic. I think we should yeah. s- we should at least try to touch that iceberg. Mm. What? Yeah. What do you? I would love for you to talk more about that. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, in in schools, um, the way they are set up is is very similar, right, to the to the way many workplaces are set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and although I'm a, a big proponent of is that a word? I'm a yeah. big supporter of schools yeah. Yeah. and learning and all that because learning is important. Uh, I do think that the way they, the way they are set up are in a way uh, a way to make us into good workers. Yeah. Um, and good workers work eight hours a day and they don't dance around and they don't um, listen to their body. Uh, they don't, uh, like, halfway through the work day check in with her body and feel like, hmm, actually, is this still serving me right now? If the answer is no, 
stop working. <laughs> it's, it's not really uh, not really profitable, I think. Um, and um, what I see with clients uh, is that most of them, most of us, are really good at thinking and analyzing mm -hmm. and um, uh, talking uh, about stuff that's going on and making connections to oh, and that happened and that happened and like. The analysis is usually not a problem, uh, so there's not a lot of work to be done there usually. People have it pretty good in their head, but what is missing is the connection with the body. Um, mm. And there's a lot of work to be done there and a lot of, uh, to stay in the theme, profit to be found there. Uh, mm. So that's what I focus on. Um, like, okay, you're good at analyzing, now let's uh, work on the skills to feel in your body what is actually good for you, what you actually want, what you don't want, uh, and how, how you know that in each moment. Because then often clients go like, okay, so let's make a list of stuff that I like, so that I have this list that I can just sort of whip out in any situation, yeah. um, and then I will know. But that's not the point. It's, mm. it's about being in touch with your body so that in each moment you can decide, like, is this serving me right now? Is this what I want right now? Or not? Right. Um reminds me of two things. You talked about how in this training, the Wheel of Consent training, you just said you were all kind of whipping out your notebooks and then the facilitators went, wait, wait, for the first two days or three days. Three days. It just feel. Don't try to write it down or think too much. And, um, yeah, that's also quite um, a nice approach. Yeah, it really was because it's um, it's a professional training, so it's all people who want to work with the system. Um, and like you said, like in, on the first day, we came all in and like good students with our notebooks and ready to learn. Uh, and Betty Martin, the uh, the facilitator, was like, "No, no, you're gonna experience it first for three days, and don't worry, we will like walk through everything in the days after. But for now, it's important that you actually have the experience uh, of the." different parts of this system so that you can uh, take clients through it based on your own embodied experience of yeah. it. Uh, and that was brilliant. Scary, but <laughs> yeah. I can imagine, I mean, for some people, the body is not necessarily a safe space mm -hmm. to inhabit because maybe you you haven't been feeling a lot of things that, you, that were really painful so you don't want to connect with them or... Mm -hmm. Um, maybe you're having like chronic pain yeah. so do and, and I personally think that there is like a connection between how much pleasure you can experience and how also open you are to feeling the let's say the pain or the mm -hmm. negative things how do you how do you see that like do because I can imagine maybe people are coming to you as a, a sex coach and may probably they're dealing with a lot of pent-up negative emotions that yeah. they've been dealing with. Yeah. Um, like in, in our society and especially around sexuality, there's a lot of trauma, right? Yeah. Um, so in the training that I did, sexological bodywork, there's, um, uh, there's a lot of attention to like how do you work with people who have trauma? Uh, not in the sense of uh, being a th trauma therapist, because I, I'm not, um, but in the sense of being able to um, recognize when like a trauma response comes up mm. and then safely guide people back to, well, safety uh, and out of the trauma response. 
Um, and I think if there's um, if there's trauma connected to sexuality or connected to anything really, then um, then some kind of trauma therapy is probably needed. Um, and whenever I encounter that in, in my coaching, um, I will just talk about that with, with a client. Like, hey, we uh, ran into this thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a trauma therapist, so let's talk about how to... Um, uh, what would be good ways for you to uh, to deal with this and to um, yeah safely give this a give this a, a space in um, in your life yeah mm. and uh, like it's right what you say like for a lot of people uh, the the body for whatever reason isn't isn't a safe place um, and I I don't think it's good enough to just say that and then accept that as a fact. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, things that you can do to start making the, the body a, a safer place. Yeah. And obviously if someone feels really unsafe in their body, we're not going to jump in uh, and say like, oh, okay, right, let's uh, um, connect to the body and I don't care that you, you have pain or you have whatever, no. Mm. And take really small steps and feel like, okay, until where does it feel safe enough? Right. And then you stop there. And then maybe next time you can take a tiny bigger step or maybe not maybe next time it feels even more unsafe when you take a smaller step mm. um, but it's all about meeting clients where they're at and if the body is unsafe then we'll just stay at the edges and just from that safe place just have a have a look like, right. okay, have a feel like what what could that possibly be like mm. we don't have to do it right now but maybe just plant a seed maybe next time we could do that mm. or not um and in the end, it's all about giving people the experience of uh, being in charge of what happens to their body. Um, yeah. And if that means nothing, uh, then that's great. That's the perfect session, really. If, if someone feels empowered in my session to say, no, I don't want any touch, hmm. then we're almost done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that means that they, they can feel in their body, I don't want touch. They can value that, they can trust that, and they can communicate communicated so perfect mm. also hearing you um, one of the things that seems to come up is also this uh, the word pain mm. and I was thinking also where it sits because generally it's something that we feel pain at mm. different moments and <clears throat> something that is hard to avoid because we have this body um, that <laughs> But it's also something that if you go through and it's like through a positive experience and you come out on the other side, it actually can be like a bit of a a positive experience in your body, like like something a bit empowering. Mm -hmm. But of course, it requires one to be right in within one's body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I was just thinking out loud and thinking of like experiences like flogging or mm. uh, impact play of some sort or needle play or everything that has this kind of pain component either psychological or physical pain and it's something that I think there's a positive impact on them mm. there's a positive value pun intended positive impact <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> um but uh, yeah, but it, it seems also requ a requirement is that you feel comfortable enough in your body to say to assess your boundaries and assess your limits and say okay this is enough. Or, yeah. yeah. 
red. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, you know, I think pain is also just a, a sensation, mm -hmm. um, and you can get pleasure from a lot of different kinds of sens sensations, and, and mm -hmm. like pain, in quotation marks, can be, uh, or certain kinds of it, can be pleasurable. Uh, and it's not really up to anyone but yourself to uh, to say like this this brings me pleasure and this this doesn't. Um, yeah, pain is just another sensation, really. Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, now it's like <laughs> why I was thinking so much about this besides yeah. my own my own sort of um, perversions. And I remember the book that you just put on Man and Telbone, like the, the one on masochism. Mm. Yes, hurt so good. Hurt so good. That it's all sort of like pain has to feel bad, bad to feel better afterwards. Mm. It's present in all the kind of realms of life, like people that run ultra marathons or swim in mm. frozen waters or um, the middle play, etc., etc. So it's not necessarily a thing that's connected with sexuality. Yeah. Um, but it's very interesting. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I do think that with more intense sensations, it's extra important that you can actually um, tell when your body has had enough, um, because there there is a um, a thing that can happen, and that is sometimes also encouraged in like certain uh, sexuality workshops or other workshops, like more emotional stuff. Um, it's like when you feel uh, you're, you're coming up to your limit and you feel uh, resistance, as they say it then, you have to push through it uh, because that is uh, your, your body's way or your ego's way of uh, keeping you from developing. Mm. Um, it's like it's, it's a whole thing. And I do think you have to re be really, really careful with that. Um, not uh, endure stuff, not push through stuff. Um, but just be yeah, in touch with your body um, and if something doesn't feel good, just stop it. Right. Um, because yeah, I think sometimes it may seem that if you take bigger steps and you do scarier things that you will get further, quicker, uh, but it's my experience that you really don't. Yeah. Uh, like on the short term it might seem that way, but in my experience the the, uh, if you take smaller steps that are actually um, good for you and that make you feel safe in your body and give you a sense of I am in charge of what happens to my body, you will get further in the end. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When you talk about enduring and, and pain, mm -hmm. it makes me think of that, um, as especially people socialized as women, mm -hmm. um, which I, I, I was, and that you get messages that um, sex is painful. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, sex can be pleasurable, but first it's gonna be painful, and sometimes you have to like endure it and this kind of feeling like you have to kind of, um, yeah, almost there are certain things that you endure for, for the Love. pleasure of your partner, <laughs> yeah, or your relationship, um, mm. and. Um, yeah, I wonder if if that's something that you see some clients, yeah, uh, have that kind of baggage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like in different forms, um, but yeah, I do get a lot of clients who feel like they they should have sex in a relationship, for mm. example. Yeah, um, like sex has to be part of a relationship. Um, well, it really doesn't. Like if, mm -hmm. if you don't want to, <laughs> please don't. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, and like you say, especially people who have been uh, socialized as women, um, yeah, I do say, see that a lot. Um, because the, most of the, mm, I was going to say most of the people that I work with are um, like n not teenagers, obviously. Um, so they they don't have that that feeling of I should end your pain so much, but actually that's not true. They do. Um, like on the one hand, there's the the feeling of I should just do the thing, uh, and mm -hmm. sometimes that's uh, I should have uh, penis and vagina sex because that should be part of it, uh, or I should uh, please my partner. Um, but I've also seen clients who actually experience pain during penetrative sex and still feel like yeah, but that that's part of the deal, right? Yeah. Or at least um, a little bit. Yeah. Or they they sometimes they do have the words and they do know. Like, oh, uh, uh, sex isn't just about penetration, da, 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 da. They, they have it in their head, like yeah. I said before, they have it all analyzed, uh -huh. but then they don't have it in their body, yeah. and their body, and with that, their head, in the end, uh, feels like, well, yeah, but penetration should be really part of it, right? Um, I feel that, from my own experience, um, yes, I have it yeah, analyzed, like, okay, if something doesn't feel good, I can stop and say I don't want to do it, but still my body, the feeling in my body when I have have to say it, even saying I have to say it, is more like, mm -hmm. um, oh, I'm about to tell something to someone that's going to disappoint them, or mm -hmm. I'm going to um, ruin the mood by saying mm -hmm. that something doesn't feel right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, a big one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Mm, let's take a short song break, and then when we come back, we're going to uh, hear about, about your personal journey with these things. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and we're back with uh, Cynthia, the queer sex coach. Hi. Hi. Um, we talked a little bit about, uh, yeah, people feeling pleasure in their body and mm. resistance and... I wanted to talk a bit about your journey, mm -hmm. um, starting sex work many years ago, I suppose. Um, that makes you sound like older than you are, maybe. <laughs> um, wow. But, and now, you know, I guess not now, but uh, several years ago, transitioning to um, doing sexological uh, body work and mm -hmm. coaching. Yeah. Yeah, tell us a bit about that. Um, yeah, so I got into sex work when I um, graduated from my master's degree. Mm -hmm. um, and there was no uh, interesting work. Yeah. And I needed some time to think yeah. uh, because I was considering doing a, a PhD. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, I just needed some, some time and space to think, and um, in order to do that, I needed to make money. Yeah. And a friend of mine was already doing sex work, mm -hmm. very different kind of sex work than I did, but uh, that didn't mean that it was something that we talked about, and it was sort of in my head as, that's a possibility. Right. Um, then I started doing some research, like what kind of sex work are there, like in a brothel, or uh, through a webcam, or escorting, or... Uh, dancing, well, mm -hmm. many different kinds, and uh, in the end, I thought escorting would be good for me. Yeah. 
and I found an agency that was run by women. So I thought, okay, that feels sort of safe. Mm -hmm. I went to to have a, a talk with them, and they were really nice. And I started doing the work. Um, and when I started, I thought, okay, I'll just do this for like a year or so, just to give me some time to breathe and think and um, do stuff. And now we are eight years later. Um, mm-hmm. And although I don't do escort work anymore, <laughs> I'm still in the in the in the sex industry. Yeah. So, yeah. And mm. how was doing escort work? You said you're also a queer person. How was that for you? I think we talked that you were kind of giving the girlfriend mm-hmm. experience. And um, yeah, what did you like about it? Um, yeah, it was really interesting that like really from the first session, uh, there was so much more depth to the work that I had thought. Mm. Um, my first client was like a really lovely guy and um, besides just having a lot of fun and having a good time um, there was also a, a lot of emotion that uh, mm. that he had like he was crying in my arms yeah. um, and I was very surprised by that and also um, well yeah pleasantly, pleasantly surprised um, and he wasn't the only one. Like the, obviously, there were clients that was just like two hours sex, and that was it. Um, but a lot of them had never before had the, the opportunity to have a space where they could be shame-free or mm. um, at least not be judged about their sexuality. Mm. Uh, and that was a re- very emotional experience for them. Um, so. Like when it came to a year, I felt like, oh, actually, this is this is the work that I want to do. Mm. Um, and at the same time, I also felt like, okay, if these people are having these like emotional experiences, I should probably have some kind of education around that because I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so that's when I started uh, doing courses mm. uh, to get some more knowledge around like what, how do you safely uh, handle someone who is lying crying in your arms and not maybe right. making stuff worse. Mm. Um, yeah, but I yeah I really enjoyed it. Do you, do you have a specific question? Because <laughs> it's, it's six years, so <laughs> lots of stories. Mm. Um, I think you answered that question, yeah, very well. Mm. Um, I love the kind of uh, your research um, mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, There's probably quite a lot of stories that like funny anecdotes that oh I know I have my question yeah okay no no continue continue no 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 but um, let me see yeah so probably just like interesting anecdotes and fun parts of it that Mm. like uh, that you hold dear Um, maybe if you want to share some with us I mean because for a lot of people I think it's like a a total foreign world Mm. uh, world yeah and uh, but also one that exerts a bit of fascination about over a lot of people um, yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah I think it's important to realize that sex work is just work yeah. so sometimes it was a lot of fun and sometimes it was eh, uh, and sometimes um, yeah it was fine just, just like any jo- other job really um, but there's a there's a couple of highlights um, <laughs> like there, is, there was this one client 
who I saw for uh, for a longer period, uh, over years, I think. Um, and that was someone who was married, and uh, but he had very particular kinks that he wanted to explore, and his wife wasn't interested. Um, so they had this talk together of like, okay, you have these interests that I don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we make space for that in, in a way that feels safe for both of us? Mm-hmm. And they landed on, okay, so like once every three months you'll visit uh, an escort. And they went online and they found me uh, through the agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I saw him for, for a long time. Uh, about every three months, doing all the kinky stuff he dreamed of. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I one time actually had a high tea with his wife as well to uh, to get to know each other. And yeah. It was just, yeah, that was just really lovely. That's really nice. That sounds yeah. great. Um, you are polyamorous. Were you in a partnership when you started doing uh, sex work? Yes. Uh, I had two partners at the time, and they were just really cute. Like... Um, <laughs> When I did uh, my first ever session, so with that client that I talked about earlier, um, I was going to be home late, and they were both waiting for me at home with a cup of tea and uh, Mm. ready to hear stories if I wanted to, or just give me space if that's what I needed, and just being super supportive. I said it was a very positive experience. That's amazing. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Total cuties. But... um, shifted for you to to want to do more coaching or just exclusively coaching um in the um, i guess the the one and a half years or so running up to um the the end of my escort work which was the the start of the corona crisis Mm -hmm. i was already uh doing more coaching work uh it just sort of seeped in just just, the way i was going and um, also, more of the way that I presented myself, so also the clients that came to me were looking more for what I was actually hmm. offering. Um, and just before Corona, like a month before um, like the whole shit show started, uh, I started uh, the, the training in sexological bodywork. Mm-hmm. Um, and that meant that for the first year of the crisis, uh, that was what I was focusing on, uh, getting mm-hmm. my uh, getting my diploma in that, um, which worked out really well because I had something to do. Yeah, because <laughs> it was especially hard for sex workers as yes. like in, intimacy labor and, and yeah, um, having restrictions around yeah. meeting people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because uh, from one day to the other, we were not allowed to do any work anymore. Right. Uh, and where most other contact professions got dozo or some other uh, support, there was nothing uh, for most sex workers. Mm -hmm. And um, when after, I think, two months, all contact professions were allowed to go back to work, uh, Mark Rutte actually explicitly said, accept the sex workers, um, Mm -hmm. while not offering any financial support. What was the reasoning that he offered for? They didn't, really. Yeah. No, it was just, it was just accept sex workers. And, yeah, yeah, just stigma. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was very harmful because uh, how are you going to make ends meet? Uh, how are you going to pay for your rent if you're not allowed yeah. to work, but you're also not getting any support? So uh, a lot of colleagues actually uh, continued working illegally mm-hmm. uh, with all risks of that. 
and um, the organization that I work for, so I Nederland, actually did a did research into like what happened in that period because we got a lot of signals that there was much more violence against sex workers. Mm. It turned out that there was um, because clients knew that these uh, workers were working illegally, uh, oh. and they actually sometimes explicitly said, like, yeah, but I know you're not going to go to the police because you're working illegally. Uh, so the, the clients got mm. into, or not the clients, but aggressive clients, uh, abusive clients got into a very strong power position against mm. sex workers. So the, the whole way this was handled by the Dutch government was very, very harmful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's, I remember, I think, one year ago when we were in Arnhem in um, a conference about care work and sex work. One of the things that was being discussed a lot in about the Dutch sex work context is that a lot of uh, funding and support for people that want to leave sex work, but not support at all for those that actually do the work. Mm. Mm. So that is really something <laughs> problematic, and it's a it's, it it comes with a lot of bias and a lot of. Um, Mm, discrimination of sex yeah. work yeah. Uh, essentially True. and it doesn't matter how legal and recognized the labor is there's always this layer of um, yeah discrimination mm. and uh, I don't know maybe from your context more as an activist uh, sex work activist um, do you see other models and other realities where there's more respect and there's more understanding for the labor that goes on and for the people um, Um, that do it. Yeah, just to also say something about what you said at the the start of that Mm -hmm. little bit, Um, because there is some funding for uh, sex work activism, uh, and a lot of it actually goes to the organization that I work for, which is a great organization, but... It's not a sex worker-led organization. Mm-hmm. And they do their best hiring sex workers and ex-sex workers so that the, the money actually goes back into the community and they do great uh, projects. Other, otherwise, I wouldn't be working for them. Um, but in a way, it, it is a bit weird that the, the funding doesn't go to sex worker-led organizations. Uh, and I think it's important to recognize that as well. Right. Um, yeah. there, there, there is money question is just like is it going to the right place and there's sex work led organizations as well uh yeah uh there's a lot to be said about that um but yes there are yeah yeah but the money is not reaching not in a way it should yeah yeah i mean what is wonderful is that there's a a, the the sex worker alliance against destigmatization swat Mm -hmm. Uh, which is an alliance of uh, a lot of sex worker-led organizations. Um, and so it's Nederland that I work for uh, to work against uh, destigmatization. And it's, it's really great because the, uh, the way it's set up means that the, the, the sex workers actually have uh, a vote, a voice in, mm. uh, in deciding like where does the money go to, what project are we doing. Um, so that, yeah, there, there are really good things happening, but I, I do think... Uh, it would be fantastic to have even more sex worker-led organizations actually lead this right. movement. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, you'll have external people with their own views and biases, and not much how, no matter how much they 
try to do good and try to support is going always going to be an external view, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, and I mean, my colleagues who aren't sex workers or haven't been sex workers, they're really, really great people, and they they have a lot of knowledge and a lot of heart. Um, and at the same time, I think it's good to have like actual sex workers lead this. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, so about the the policy stuff that you asked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the Netherlands, uh, sex work is legalized, which means that it's illegal unless you abide by very strict rules. And um, the rules are very complicated in the Netherlands, and they're different in every municipality. Mm-hmm. Um, and for most people, it's almost impossible to, to abide by the rules, mm-hmm. uh, because, for example, in most municipalities, you need a permit to, to work as an independent sex worker. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like, oh, I want to be an escort, but I don't want to work for an agency because I want to um, set my own prices, uh, mm-hmm. pick my own clients, do my own Scheduling, PR, everything, yeah. mm-hmm. um, then you would need a, a permit. But in most municipalities, it's, in, it's impossible to get one uh, because mm-hmm. either they say, yeah, we don't give out permits, or they say we give out like five permits and they're all taken by... Uh, the local brothel and, you know, mm. um, so independent sex workers don't stand a chance. Right. Uh, which means, well, like I said, that basically in the Netherlands, sex work is illegal unless you abide by the rules that you cannot abide by. Um, and the Very way that um, that would be fantastic is if sex work would be decriminalized. And that's how it is in uh, New Zealand and in some of the states in Australia and since two months in Belgium. Uh, mm-hmm. And that means that sex work is taken totally out of the criminal law, uh, and it's just treated as any other uh, labor issue. Really. Right. Um, yeah, which that would be great. Sense. That makes sense. But yes. It really does because I don't understand why it's in the in the criminal law because all the things that people say like could be bad, uh, like abuse or uh, uh, human trafficking or all that. That's already illegal. You don't need exactly. like extra laws for that. Um, so yeah, I never really right. understood why it's in the uh, criminal law. Now, do you consider um, sexological body work sex work? Because some people <laughs> uh, have a very um, yeah, they ha- they have a separation in their mind, and some people don't. Yeah, um, I I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone who works with human sexuality is a sex worker politically at the same time Mm. um, saying if if I were to say on my website like I do sex work uh, that would mean uh, getting into all kinds of trouble with uh, the municipality needing permits la 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 Uh, so in that way um, I say it's something different because it's not escort work right uh, I don't have sex with my client, so it's different. Yeah. Um, but I I don't really think it's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's yeah there's there's two things going on. Like right. I, I need to be able to do my work. So no, it's not sex work. Yeah. But of course it's sex work. Right. Um, <laughs> it's just a very different kind of sex work. Yeah. Um, do you see um, when your colleagues are doing sexological body work? Um, I'm guessing not everyone is coming from this background. Mm. So. How do you see that your approach or the approach of people coming from sex work is compared to other um, backgrounds? Um, 
Yeah, I think just the the way that I got into this work informs the way that mm -hmm. I work. Yeah. Um, just like uh, being a queer person uh, informs the way that I work. Um, and because I've been um, part of sex work uh, community, part of sex worker activism for a long time, for me it's very logical that this is also like part of that umbrella. Um, but if you come from a very different background, I can imagine that it's not so logical. And it, right. Yeah. Uh, did you see that differently? How does it impact um, the connection with the client or the um, yeah the the coaching itself? Um, I don't know actually. Um, I mean, the the way that I work with clients has changed a lot mm -hmm. um, because with the, the escort work I was very much focused on uh, giving people an experience of intimacy and of uh, love and mm -hmm. just something really yummy and pleasurable um, and people would touch me as well in a sexual way um, and now I'm much more focused on uh, giving people the skills to provide themselves with these beautiful experiences of, of intimacy and love and, and yumminess. Um, and clients do not touch me in a sexual way and I, I don't take off my clothes. So it has changed a lot in the, in like the, the way I work. Um, and some, sometimes I still get calls from people who have seen me on, on TV or something when I was still doing escort work. Um, and then I, I do have to be really clear that my way of working has, has changed a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and just tell them, like, this is what I do now, and you're super welcome to, to join. But also, I totally understand if that wasn't what you're looking for, and I will just refer them to, uh, to colleagues mm. that do still uh, provide escort services. Right. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah. I guess I was also wondering, because you work, you help people find the skills you know, or giving them kind of tools for connecting with their body. And I was wondering if um, your past work as an escort, like, gave you some skills in that sense or um, a range of tools that maybe are different than people coming from another background. Um, probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, if you come to this work really from uh, more of a like yoga and tantra yeah. uh, trajectory, then then obviously you will have different skills yeah. than, than than I would have. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I would probably have to work together with someone to see like oh, oh that, that's what I'm doing. You're trying to be very politically correct, but when you see it, for instance, in a workshop like mm. in. Um, to sexological bodywork workshop like the one you were in do you stick do you see like oh we all kind of very similar in what we do and how we do it or because I have this background of sex work and I have thought of at ease with people touching my body or I touching mm. other people's body and um, the sexual aspect of it do you see yourself as oh I'm doing this a bit different with this from my colleagues um. or I'm just like in my mind yeah, flipping yeah. through my classmates like <laughs> huh, how is it different um, well I was already more used to touching people uh, also in the in the genital area so I think that that helps mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't weird for me at all mm -hmm. and I think I was um, 
because of my work, much more um, aware already of my own boundaries mm. um, and my own desires and how they might show up in sessions uh, so that I um, could mm, be more in control of that. Right. Um, and I see that so some colleagues um, mix... Uh, mix up their sessions a lot more and they, they actually do uh, uh, allow intimate touch on themselves as well. Mm. Well, for me, maybe because I have this background, it's very clear that I, that I don't want to do that yeah. anymore. Um, so in a way, I think because of my work, I'm much more clear about what I offer right. and what yeah. I don't offer uh, than some colleagues that I see, especially people who, uh, for who the sexological bodywork training was like their first uh, training in this field and they hadn't done any work about it and they're still very searching like what do I want to offer and where are my boundaries and um, what I, what do I want with the work right. well for me because it well I was a bit yeah. already further in that journey um, I'm just much clearer yeah um, yeah. yeah makes perfect That's sense cool. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 makes sense yeah mm. yeah, yeah. It, um, I just feel like start gossiping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at time. Let's take a, a tiny little um, song break. Song break, and then we'll um, come back. And I want to hear also about the all your online courses. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. yeah, we're back with um, Cynthia, the queer sex coach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would <laughs> love for you to repeat what you just said now about um, yeah signaling kind yeah. of inclus yeah inclusivity. Um, yeah, I was I was saying like I call myself the queer sex coach, uh, and that's like we talked about at the beginning. It's not necessarily because because the coaching is different, uh, but it is a way to say to people like, hey, I created this space with you in mind, yeah. queer community. This yeah. this is your space, and it's ju not just a space that you're also welcome to. Mm -hmm. No, this is actually your space. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have I have the knowledge and the lived experience of this. Um, and like like you just said, uh, this is it, it's not going to be one more experience of having to explain yourself right. to to a coach or a therapist. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's mostly where the where the queerness comes in, yeah. not necessarily in the coaching so yeah. much. Yeah. Um, I would love to for you to tell us about and the listeners um, about your online course. I think it's really beautiful offering that you know there is this chance to have this one-on-one -on -one with you, mm -hmm. but um, this is something that anyone can sign up for, and it's um, which is in a more affordable price range, and it's something that you have available in English and Dutch. Yeah. Um, and it's a seven-week uh, course. Yeah. yeah. Will you tell us a little about it? About yeah. it? yeah. <laughs> what people yes, would please. experience. In um, it. Yeah, like you say, um, there's a and there's this online course that I created because um, some people don't have the financial means to work one-on-one, -on -one, but also because uh, some people just are not ready for that or mm. they feel like, oh, talking one-to-one -one with an actual person, yeah. that's a bit too vulnerable. Right, right. Um, and in this course, you can just do this by yourself in a, in a, in a seven-week program. You can start whenever you want. Uh, it's called Feeling More Pleasure, mm -hmm. the home practice starter kit. 
uh, and mm. it it helps you over those seven weeks to create a, a home practice um, that actually serves you and your embodiment. Yeah. And uh, the way that works is with uh, like guided meditations through your body. Um, waking up the hands is a is a important part of it, mm. uh, which is from the wheel of consent actually. Um, and that the way that goes is just taking any random object. I have to. Um, what is this called? Bottle cap. Bottle cap. Yeah. Uh, and just start exploring that with your hands. We'll do it next to the mic so people can hear the ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then having uh, having a couple of weeks of uh, trying trying out different things, um, and well, by the end of the seven weeks, uh, you should have a more embodied sense of what like what what do you want, what you what do you not want. Uh, how does it feel in your body to do one stuff um, and to to honor that? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm pretty proud of it. <laughs> and it's just really good yes. to have something that uh, that I can offer people who don't want to work one on one for whatever reason. And it's kind of like evergreen. It's something that yeah. um, hey sister, you're working. I saw that you were working on two more courses as well. Yeah. Will you tell us about that? Um, I'm working on a, uh, a course around uh, the anatomy of pleasure, mm-hmm. uh, but in a queer way. So literally, like the anatomy of your genitals, yeah. but like getting to know that in a in a non-gendered way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love your video about um, non-gendered anatomy. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually the um, the final uh, assignment for the. Um, you just said the course that I did. The embodied social justice. Oh course. yeah, yeah. They had a final assignment, and you could do whatever you found interesting. So I made a, a gender-free genital anatomy video, yeah. um, and the course will um, uh, go deeper into that. Like, yeah. what what are the different names that you could call your your genitals and your yeah. parts, um, and and how do they work? Yeah. Uh, because I think it's important to have the knowledge, but a lot of the knowledge uh, that is available right now is very gendered. Right. Um, so. For people who are in any way uh, not in the gender binary, it can just be really triggering to look up those videos or look up uh, right. any of that stuff. Yeah. And then they don't have the knowledge, and that's ridiculous. Uh, so I'm working on that. And the other one uh, will focus more on working with a partner or partners mm-hmm. uh, and uh, how to incorporate uh, like pleasure-based sexuality yeah. um, instead of well, orga- orgasm-focused uh Sexuality, which is the uh, the core of a lot of people's sexuality, is like we have to get to orgasm. Yeah. Uh, and I want to shift that into let's find pleasure. Right. Yeah. And uh, and since this is a part of Tailbone's kind of cultural program, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, do you find that sex toys have an important role, or they're like a gateway um, onto um, pleasure? Um, that's something that people find them that helps them to get somewhere else from where they are right now, or is something that is like, oh, it's just just another thing. Yeah, um, feel free to say no. No, I <laughs> no. I think sex toys can be uh, a really great way to get out of your uh, habit mm. uh, and and try new things. Yeah, um, I do think hands are very uh, important tools that yeah. we have to learn to use and to feel with yeah. particularly not just use them to um, 
to make other parts of the body feel stuff, but actually feel stuff with the hands. Um, and sex toys are also just like really fun. Yeah. And like the, the main thing that I want to instill on people is like just have fun and yeah. explore stuff. And yeah. Uh, see what feels good. Yeah, I think with selling sex toys, I try to like mm, let people know that it's not that that's not the focus. Like the toy is not the focus. Mm. It's more. It's amazing that you're even here and wanting to try something new. Like yeah. you getting a new sex toy, it means that you are open to experiencing new kinds of pleasure and new kinds of sensation. And so it doesn't matter so much if this is going to be the best one for you or, or not because yeah. it's part of that that journey and it's also um it, it can be you know objects i think also coming from a visual arts background and a sculpture background mm. like i think objects can be very important and can be also a placeholder of meaning for us yeah yeah and um yeah yeah but like you say wanting to buy a sex toy indicates curiosity and yeah. that's just yeah. really great if that's there then just follow it and yeah. see see where you end up yeah i was so mm-hmm. also you don't you don't need them if you if you don't want because like i had someone approach me once and were like oh do i really need to get these suction toys everyone's telling me i need to get them but i don't think i'm gonna, like no don't get them because <laughs> no. yeah if it's not like where your pleasure is lying or your curiosity it's not because other people tell you you have to have a sex toy if you're gonna be sex positive no no no, <laughs> no yeah you just yeah need a body <laughs> yeah well when you're talking about the hands i was like oh yeah i also got really into sex toys because i um suffered from carpal tunnel for mm. years <laughs> or like my hands so it was like yeah very handy too yeah to yeah exactly yeah great great tools yeah exactly yeah. um do you have any uh, favorite sex toys Ooh. Uh, yeah, to be honest, just the, the magic wand. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> a classic. Yeah. <laughs> you? Same. Huh. Well, I have the Doxy wand, actually. Also. Nice. And do um, you have any uh, sex advice for people? Something like, I know this is a huge question, mm. but maybe something that you would like to see more people do, whether that's like breathe or touch a bottle cap, I don't know. Um, yes, I mean, touch random objects and feel what they actually feel like yeah. on your skin. I think if you just, just do that five minutes a day, that's yeah. like a really great thing to do. Mm. And the other thing um, would be like, don't disguise a request as, um, uh, as an offer. So don't oh, say like, oh, that's a big hi, one. Can I, can I give you a massage? When what you actually mean is, hey... I want to touch your body. So get clear on what it is that you actually want. Yeah. And then uh, be super brave and vulnerable and ask for that. Wow. Yeah, I love that. Mm. That's lovely. And scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. Yeah, but it makes, yeah. it makes a big difference. Yeah. yeah. And just in this sort of more sex-positive places and just say, hey, do you mind if I touch your arm? And um, I just feel like touching your arm. 
Yeah, like exactly. Now. Like, oh, yeah, your like, your chest is looking really yummy. yummy. Can I just <laughs> instead of like, oh, uh, um, do you want blah blah blah? No, you're asking like, for something for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we're gonna put a bunch of uh, links up, but for anyone listening uh, live, would you like to tell us where people can find you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my website is www.thequeersexcoach.com mm-hmm. and I am on Instagram and that is uh, Cynthia, that's S-I-N-S-I-A dot the queer sex coach. Yeah. Uh, and that's it, I'm not on any other social media. That's good for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Cynthia. And uh, yeah, we'll close with a fun song. Yay! Yay. Yay. Okay. Thank you. Mm, so welcome.